Uh, we are in week six of uh, this uh, last trimester of, uh, of the year. And uh, next week, just a, as a scheduling reminder, uh, next week we're going to hit the pause button and uh, Bob Miller is going to lead uh, what I'm calling a family meeting. It's not an official congregational meeting. There's nothing to vote on. It's more informational, uh, an opportunity for you to interact with some of the things that he has been working on as our church administrator and uh, moving forward with some of his recommendations that the session has already been aware of and discussed with him, but you as a congregation need to hear. And so uh, that'll be next week at the 9 a.m. hour, so please do come to that. Make it, uh, make it the same priority uh, that you do to come to this class. I uh, would greatly appreciate it. And then after that, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm done. I'm fading out, and uh, Theo is going to wrap this class up with the first two weeks of June, June 3rd and June 10th. Uh, that will be when our discipleship hour ends, and so Theo will take us um, take us to the end, uh, those two weeks of June. So that's where we're headed. Um, where are we headed today? Well, before we uh, talk about, uh, and I don't have a handout, by the way, so if you're looking for one, there isn't one. Um, uh, I'm going out with a bang, making Bob really look good now. Um, just a reminder of what we're trying to do in this class I use the word awareness, and that is the big word uh, that, uh, at least in my mind, I want us to uh, walk away from this class with, is a greater awareness that will in turn create a greater dependency, and uh, that's, that's Theo's uh, pleasure to get into the prayer aspect and, and uh, bring us home in that way uh, in a couple weeks. Um, Awareness of a, the spiritual war that we're in, creating a greater dependency of the one in whom we fight and the one in whom our strength lies. And so last week we talked about seasons of spiritual attack. Those of you who are here remember seasons of spiritual growth, seasons of gospel advance, season of exposing the enemy for who he is, seasons of breaking with the world, and seasons of uh, blessings that are to come. And uh, we talked a bit about how some of those seasons get us on the radar of the enemy and um, advance uh, his attacks upon us. In regards to the battle, in regards to the daily hand-to-hand combat, and remember, that was one of the things that I've been stressing, is that when we talk about spiritual warfare, we're not talking about those flashpoints necessarily of, uh, you know, the violent nightmare in the middle of the night or uh, the weird, uh, weird occurrence that you had on the highway or, or whatever the case may be. Those things happen. Those are mysterious. Those are unique. But I'm talking, we're talking primarily about just hand-to-hand combat in day-to-day life, in the mundane of our circumstances, in the mundane of our lives. And so we've been guiding our thoughts uh, primarily for the past few weeks with God's Word as it's found in Ephesians chapter 6, that classic uh, passage on spiritual warfare and specifically on our armament for the fight. 
armament that draws from the Old Testament imagery of the divine warrior that we believe and we rejoice is fulfilled in Jesus, the one who has already won the victory and we talked about victory, but also this imagery that for the original hearers of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus uh, had particular applicability as they looked around and saw the Roman soldiers dressed in their garb. And so we've looked at the belt of truth, we've looked at the breastplate of righteousness, and last week we looked at gospel boots and the shield of faith. Well, today we look at salvation and the Spirit. Salvation and the Spirit. And if you know the imagery well, you know that salvation has to do with the helmet. And the Spirit has to do with the sword. And so that's where we're going to go to today. And I want to begin uh, our time uh, talking or or, uh, reading to you a bit of a quote from a classic uh, that I wonder how many have read in this room uh, John Bunyan's classic work, Pilgrim's Progress. How many have read that at some point in their lives? Okay, fair number of you. Fair number of you haven't. Great book. Uh, In fact, uh, Brett and I were just talking the other day about wanting to study that book at some point, that allegory, and read it together uh, because there's lots to mine there. It was written in the 1600s as John Bunyan sat in a prison cell, and I want to read just a bit of his allegory to you. He writes, I am an enemy to this prince. I hate his laws, his person, and his people. I have come for the purpose of arresting you. Those words are spoke by Apollyon. Be careful, Apollyon, says Pilgrim. Be careful what you do. I am in the king's highway, the way of holiness, and I am in his service. Therefore, take heed that you do not overstep your bounds. Then Apollyon sprang across the highway in front of Christian and said, I am without fear in this matter. Prepare yourself to die, for I swear by all the infernal powers that you shall go no farther. I will take your soul right here. And then he hurled a flaming dart at Christian's heart, but Christian held out his shield and blocked it. Christian drew his sword and he braced himself for battle. Apollyon came at him in fury, throwing darts as thick as hail. Some struck above and some below Christian's shield, wounding him painfully in spite of all he could do to defend himself. And he fell back a little. And seeing this, Apollyon came on with all his force. And here Christian remembered his effectual prayer and he took courage. They fought up and down the highway for over an hour. And Christian's strength was almost spent from a loss of blood and sheer exhaustion. Apollyon perceived that Christian was gradually growing weaker. Taking advantage of this, he took hold of Christian and he threw him to the ground. Then Christian's sword flew out of his hand. Now, said Apollyon, I am sure I have you. And he almost beat him to death. But as God would have it, as Apollyon gave his final blows to finish him off, Christian's hand touched his sword and it gave him a fresh spirit. He gripped the sword with all his might and said, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise again. 
giving Apollyon a deadly thrust which caused him to fall back as if mortally wounded. Summoning all his strength, Christian rose to his feet and advanced toward him, crying, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This was too much for Apollyon. He spread his wings and he flew away. The battle was over. Christian, breathing heavily, said, I will give thanks to him who delivered me out of the mouth of the lion and has helped me defeat Apollyon. John Bunyan gives us there just a vivid picture of some of the engagement. And specifically, I read this passage because this is some of the engagement with the sword of the spear. There's other obvious elements of the armor of God present in that account as well, but specifically the sword of the Spirit. But before we go, let's talk about the mind. I have been uh, bringing up at various points in this class that spiritual warfare is a battle for the mind. It's a battle for the mind. As we come to the helmet of salvation, Paul, and remember, I'll say this again just very briefly, I'm not sure how much Paul wanted us to pull these individual things out and kind of pick them apart and, and, and analyze them in, in separation from the others. They all kind of overlap. They're all part of the panoply of armor. But I think there is benefit in just Digging a little bit deeper in each of those things. And so today we're going to talk about the helmet of salvation. And it brings to mind uh, the mind. Because that's what the helmet guards preeminently. I love the, uh, in the, pe- in the uh, chapter that uh, you read in your book, The Invisible War. I love the quote that he has at the beginning of the chapter talking about the mind. It's from Francis Schaeffer, one of our own apologist in our Presbyterian tradition, and he says, a spiritual battle, the loss of victory, is always in the thought world. Chip Ingram, the writer of that book, says, if a redeemed mind truly understands salvation and is set on the Spirit of God Himself, it will lead to fruitfulness and victory, and it will have to be protected very, very well. Let's just think about helmets for a moment. I'm, I admit I'm not a big fan of, of helmets. We got some uh, long boards as a family. Drew got one, Toby got one, and I got one. And Anna suggested that maybe we get some helmets for riding those things out on the street. And I'm, I just didn't grow up with helmets. And I, I, I understand, I understand the value of helmets, and I understand that helmets have saved lives, but I'm not a big fan of helmets. And yet, in warfare, how crucial helmets are. One phrase, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? Even a momentary loss of judgment in the fog of war can be absolutely disastrous. And I've seen it time and time again. 
And just thinking about my context of, of ministry, I can think of two right off the bat, and one, one happened this year, where a minister in a momentary lapse of judgment was taken out and the name of Christ has been smeared and countless people under his care and shepherding have been wounded, some of them mortally so, speaking spiritually. The helmet of salvation, despite my distaste for helmets, the helmet of salvation is vital. Now, perhaps this is obvious. I think in some ways it is obvious, but I think as we fight our battles, as we are engaged in spiritual combat, I think we easily want to make, we want to make it about our circumstances. We want to make it about the behavior of other people, the sin and the brokenness of other people, rather than examining how we're thinking about these things, the state of our hearts. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't brokenness and there isn't circumstances and there isn't sin out there to blame, but guarding the mind, keeping the mind sharp in spiritual warfare is absolutely crucial. Let me give you a few verses that I think you know well. Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, for the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to strong, destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought, every thought captive to obey Christ. Romans 8, 6, and 7, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And then Proverbs 23, 7, which in the ESV it says, for he is like one who is inward calculating, which is kind of obtuse. Uh, The New American Standard Bible translates it, I think, in a much clearer way. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. And so the mind, the battle for the mind is absolutely crucial. The helmet of salvation is absolutely crucial. And of course, it's connected to the shield of faith. And that's where you can't just divorce these elements, you divorce these pieces of armor from each other. They're connected. They're integral to one another. Faith, is another quote, faith can only function around truths that you've been taught, Right? So the mind is crucial. But when Paul talks about the helmet of salvation, he's writing to believers, right? So what kind of salvation he's talking about, is he talking about? We think about our salvation in terms of our past. We have been saved. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God. We are saved, we are saved in our Savior. We talk about present salvation. We are being saved, 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. So there's a notion of salvation that 
has to do with sanctification. And then there's future salvation. We will be saved. Romans 8, 23, we eagerly await our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. And in a sense, these three things are inseparable, past, present, and future salvation. But it seems that Paul in Ephesians 6 is speaking or putting an emphasis on our future salvation when he speaks of the helmet of salvation. And one of the reasons that we uh, have an indication of this is 1 Thessalonians 5, 8. Paul makes the same, uses the same imagery, and this is what he says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And so I think that's where the emphasis of the helmet of salvation in guarding the mind um, maybe picks up its particular nuance. Because we've talked about being grounded with the gospel boots, right? Grounded in the gospel of peace. And to me, when I think about that, I, it, it, it feels, it, it hits my heart in, in terms of my identity in Christ. Who I am in Christ. I'm secure in Christ. That past notion of salvation But Paul seems to be emphasizing here with the helmet of salvation, not exclusively so, again, but if we are compared or or put it together with this 1 Thessalonians passage, the hope of salvation. So my question is, this is where I stop talking and open it up to you. My question is, how does the hope of salvation, the helmet of salvation, how does that help us fight? How does that help us stand firm? Any ideas? Anybody want to share? Tim. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah, one of the things that came to mind when I was thinking about this question was, was your class and your, that, that, big, that big passage from N.T. Wright's book, Surprised by Hope, that you had us read. And thinking about the, lie, the lies of the enemy, the, the darts of the enemy coming at us, uh, questioning, um, causing us to doubt our, our purpose or our 
fruitfulness. If you think about the helmet of salvation, and salvation being the hope of salvation, your work, your labor is not in vain, right? That Jesus has accomplished the victory. He will return and make all things new and is making all things new through us to this very point. Good. Brett? Nothing? Pass? The other thing that came to mind was Paul's, uh, Paul's encouragement about light and momentary affliction compared to the glory to come and how the hope of salvation, the helmet of salvation in those, in those circumstances of struggle, in those battles of the enemy onslaught, whether it be suffering, whether it be um, yeah, physical suffering, spiritual struggle, Paul's words that this is light and momentary compared to the glory to come. Right. That we're all, you know, we're all one. Amen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One people. Yes, Rebecca. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. That's great. That's great. Great comments. Let me let me go move on, and then we'll talk a little more in just a moment. Um, as we come to Ephesians six seventeen. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We come to really what feels like the first offensive weapon. Not exclusively offensive, but I think it's defensive as well, as John Bunyan points out in that account from Pilgrim's Progress. It's both an offensive and defensive weapon. But take the sword of the Spirit is the next visual picture that Paul gives us. And there are two words for sword uh, used in the New Testament. The first one is used uh, only seven times, and it refers to this long, broad sword, big heavy thing that we might think, uh, you know, the kind of sword that David uh, picked up, Goliath's sword, to to decapitate him after um, the victory there. But the second and more predominant term for sword in the New Testament is used 29 times, and it refers to this short, double-edged dagger of a foot or two feet long. It's the kind of sword that 
It's the same Greek word that was used to describe the sword that Peter used when he whipped it out and cut off Malchus's ear as they tried to uh, uh, arrest Jesus. When we talk about swords, I want, I want to first state the obvious. Maybe that's what, I'm all, that's what I'm doing in this class continually, stating the obvious, but we're a forgetful people. I want to point out just the violence of the imagery. The violence of the imagery. Right? Swords are used for killing. They're used for drawing blood. John Owen is quoted as saying, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Romans 8.13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so the sword is a weapon, the sword of the Spirit is a weapon that is designed for violence. Violence against our enemy. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the deceit, the lie of the devil consists of this. He wishes to make man believe that he can live without God's word. And of course, the classic passage when we think about the sword of the Spirit being wielded is Jesus' confrontation with Satan himself in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Let me read it for you and uh, refresh your memory. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, Jesus was led up by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came and said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again it is written, they shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus' example and Jesus' experience there and Paul's admonition to the church in Ephesus about the sword of the Spirit reminds us that we need to have a storehouse of swipes to kind of visualize it in that way. A storehouse of, of swipes, of deadly swipes, of, of blowing swipes that we can throw at the enemy. And what does this look like while well, I was studying this week and, and researching? And I found a, a great uh, devotional, a great devotional written by uh, John Piper, a name that many of us know well. 
And uh, I just wanted to read it to you and then um, ask a question for some discussion and for, for some sharing. He writes this, when Paul says, put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, Romans 8, 13, I take him to mean that we should use the one weapon in the Spirit's armor that is used to kill, namely the sword, which is the Word of God. So when the body is about to be led into a sinful action by some fear or craving, we are to take the sword of the Spirit and kill that fear and kill that craving. In my experience, that means mainly, and this is a great line, severing the root of sin's promise by the power of a superior promise. And that's not a notion that Piper came up with. That's a, that's a notion. That's the power of an expulsive affection. Thomas Chalmers has a great sermon on that. Severing the root of sin's promise by the power of a superior promise. For example, when I begin to crave some illicit sexual pleasure, the sword swing, or swipe, the sword swing that has often severed the root of this promised pleasure is Matthew 5.8, Blessed are the poor, pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so he writes, I recall the promises I have tasted of seeing God more clearly from an undefiled conscience. I recall the brevity and superficiality and oppressive aftertaste of sin's pleasures. And with that, God has killed the conquering power of sin. Having promises at hand that suit the temptation of the hour is one key to successful warfare. But there are times when we don't have a perfectly suited word from God in our minds. There is no time to look through the Bible for a tailor-made promise. So, we all need to have a small arsenal of general promises, ready to use whenever fear or craving threaten to lead us astray. This is just personal now from him. He says, here are four most often used promises in my fight. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Philippians 4.19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3.8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. And then finally, Matthew 5, 8, he's already quoted it, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. He says, be constantly adding to your arsenal of promises, but never lose sight of the chosen few that God has blessed in your life. Do both. Be ever ready with the old, and every morning look for a new one to take with you through the day. That, that was a great meditation on wielding the sword of the Spirit. My question to you is, if you're willing to share, what are some of your go-tos? What is in your arsenal of promises? Psalm 139 is a huge one for me. It's always been a huge one for me. Well, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit, you know when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar before a word is 
on my tongue. You know it all together. You hem me in, behind, and before. That idea of God's knowledge of me, knowing me, is one that I I keep on my hip all the time. All the time. Because I find when when temptation comes my way and no one's in the room and no one's going to find out, guess what? I'm known. When it seems like the world is against me and I'm just receiving all of this criticism and all this discouragement, guess what? I'm known. What's in your arsenal of promises? What is your, some of your uh, go-tos in wielding the sword of the Spirit? Anna. Yeah, I'm glad you emphasized the Spirit, because it's the sword of the Spirit, a vital relationship with, with the Holy Spirit. These are not magic incantations. This is the life of the Spirit, Spirit bringing to mind God's truth. And it does. It leads, it leads to prayer, and that's where Theo's going to take us, uh, because all of these things lead to prayer, and particularly wielding the sword of the Spirit. And this is not just um, this is not just for the purpose of um, of our own resistance of of the enemy, uh, of our own inward battle for the mind fight. But this is also you know you can wield the sword for others too, right? Who's dro- who? Maybe they've dropped their sword, and you need to come along and, and speak. And pray something from your arsenal of promises for them. I can't tell you how many people, some in this room, have come alongside me when my, when my sword has been dropped and have used their sword in effective ways in my life, resisting and fighting the enemy. Anybody else, what, in your arsenal of promises? Or just sharing anything about 
um, these, notion, or these aspects of, of the spiritual armor that Paul gives us, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Yeah. You know, you're trying to use the word of God to fight, and like if you're reading Jesus, it's going to say that you're right. going to use a scripture. I think we think of that martial art, I forgot the name of it, where they try to use your own momentum and force against you yeah. in the fighting. <clears throat> I, I remember a, a spiritual, uh, horrible time in my life in, in 1998 when my salvation. Mm. held on to in the first place, right? Yeah. And that just fed this tailspin that lasted years. Wow. Um, among others. Wow. So it's, uh, it's a brutal business in terms of, you know, putting that arsenal in your repertoire. You know, sometimes our theology, the enemy is very skillful at using to oppress us and harass us and hurt us. Yeah. So what broke you out of that cycle? Just time, or was it someone who... Just chipping away, being at church Sunday after Sunday, you know, and, and the promises of God and the gospel, eventually winning the day. Yeah, yeah, because that's a great example. It's a great scenario of, of, of someone, you know, speaking into your life, of, of wielding, of the community of saints, helping bring clarity to the lies of the enemy. Because that's a huge one. That's, it seems like, we, Presbyterius last week, and again, it seems like often one of the questions that gets asked for potential, um, potential ministers who are being examined is, is how would you respond to a congregation member who is doubting their assurance? It's just one of those questions that constantly comes up in examinations of ministers because it constantly comes up in ministry. It's just one of those things uh, where um, you need to be armed and equipped to be able to speak truth and clarity into the fog of war. Anybody else? Tim. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where fighting on behalf of others, you realize I'm not under that fear. I don't think it's that guy. Let's just go out and get this out of here. Yeah. Um, and that's where being community and warring together against them is not one of those, dude, well, I guess you've got to be stronger to, to fight the battle. Um, good luck. See you next Sunday. You're right. But that's not what we're called to. Amen. Amen. Bob.
Amen. Good. Yes. great. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. Tim. That's great. That's a good segue because next time, I'm sorry, Ken. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we're not talking just about memorizing. We're talking about opening the scriptures, we're talking about post-it notes <laughs> on, on the mirror in the morning, uh, when you wake up, when you need to be reminded of uh, who you are. Um, so yeah, you, you don't have to pack these things in your head necessarily. Uh, it's helpful, it can be helpful, but um, you know, sticking them everywhere you can um, is good. I just bought a in fact, uh, it's, not a, it's not a Bible verse, so it doesn't, it's not in the same vein, but I just bought a, a little plaque from one of my favorite lyrics from a Fernando Ortega song. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. It's a very simple sentence. And uh, it now is hanging in our living room. When I come down in the morning or when Anna comes down in the morning, we sit down, it's, it's right there. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. So, good question. 
Next time, which is not next week, but two weeks, but you'll be here next week anyway, uh, is going to be a continuation of these things. And uh, here is a quote that leads us to that point where John Piper says, prayer is the power that wields the weapons of the word. We don't just remember these things. We don't just declare them to our own hearts. We do, but, but we, we pray them. And that's partly where we're going in two weeks from today. Let me close us in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. How blessed we are as a people that you have not only left us your spirit who dwells inside of us, who gives us strength, who assures us that we are yours, but that that spirit is the spirit of truth that speaks through your word, this preserved revelation that we can hold in our hands, that we can write and remind ourselves of. Oh, Father, as we are daily engaged in battle, may we not only have an increased awareness of the fight, but an increased awareness and dependence upon your word, that our swords might be holstered right at our side, quick to be pulled, quick to be used, not only for ourselves, but for others, as we seek to defend, as we seek to attack the one who seeks to devour and destroy us and your name. So, Father, I pray that you would take these, these concepts, this truth from your word, our discussion, our time of sharing, and that you would use it in unique individual ways in our lives to encourage us going from this place. Father, this I pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.